Why do we? A sucker always puts paper first because everyone does scissors first. I learned in my Grand Canyon trip that water always wins over rock. <laughs> oh my God. I was like, that's really dramatic, Grand Canyon. <laughs> Welcome to the Bull and the Badger podcast, where Asian American culture and mental health intersect. Did it. Did it. Done did it. <laughs> so, Vanessa, what are we going to talk about today? <laughs> we have no banter this episode. No, there kind of is. I mean, um, uh, we're gathered here today because uh, one of the uh, interviewees on my uh, documentary, The Laundromat, was like, Yo, V, we need to talk about this on your podcast. I was like, what? Okay. Because <laughs> um, she finally got a chance to see it, and she was like, we need to talk. And I was oh, like, really? Right. You hadn't seen it in a, in, ever? Well, she's, I, I, she'll talk about when she saw it and then her reactions, and I think, um, I think she had seen it maybe uh, two years after I had officially premiered it. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it, it, there was a little bit of a, like... I'm not ready to see it moment, I oh, think. And, yeah, and I'm still I like, I, I <laughs> yeah, well, you, I, I dragged you to like sessions where you had to watch different versions of it too. You so. didn't drag me. Oh, okay. Good. good. <laughs> so you wanted me to talk about my, exp- my, my memories of that. Yeah. Just a little bit. Just like if, if you had any like funny, remember when like, um, I had like a bloody nose at your place. Saw his name. No, I don't remember that. And I like bled on your floor. It was great. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. Okay. <laughs> um, you brought it up. Yeah. You ref- refresh in the memory in my mind. I have like a lot of funny stories. We laughed a lot. Judy and I liked making this. Um, very few tears because I don't cry. <laughs> um. <laughs> but Anne and I definitely we laughed a lot. And we got to eat things from her garden. That was like one of my favorite experiences. Ooh. Yeah. She like made a, uh, a salad for us. She was like, oh, I'm going to make you a salad. Instead of going to her refrigerator, she went outside. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty sweet. Um, <laughs> These are it, such important memories. They are important memories. <laughs> it was a nice sequence too. I wish, I hope one day like somebody will give me money to do the DVD extras and then I'll have, I've, like hours and hours of footage that I just want to like recut to not, not the documentary. I would never recut the documentary. It is as it is, but there's all these other interviews that, um, (laughs) wait, let's, let's also acknowledge, uh, the small child here. I, and I will, I will introduce her mother, but, uh, we have a a special guest. Her name is Mazzy and she's wearing an amazing crocheted, um, monster hat <laughs> I was gonna say dinosaur I was like I don't know any dinosaur with like that looks like how oh, can man. you tell the difference between crochet and knit it, I think the stitch this is like a wider 
stitch. Is it knit or crochet? This one's crochet. Oh, you okay. got it, Vanessa. Yeah. Although I could sense you were unsure. Yeah, no. <laughs> when I asked. The uncertainty was real. <laughs> uh, part of it is because I think Megumi is like, she sits and she, she crochets and knits. Uh-huh. So then I, I ask her questions. Uh-huh. It's all about the question. But don't avoid the question. <laughs> what was the question? About your experiences. Do you, do you remember anything? Um, my experience is that one time you came over and um, you brought Judy, yep. who, we, who we hear on the podcast as well. Um, it's kind and, of been a uh, laundromat kind of, kind of year. Yeah. Because uh, later we'll have Paul. <laughs> Anyways. <right>. Yeah. <laughs> um, no spoilers. I don't know. I thought it was cool. It's, it's funny looking back at that time because... Not only during that time, um, it, it's all just kind of laying the groundwork for stuff that was to come, including your finished product podcast as well, or sorry, documentary, <laughs> as well as the podcast. And yeah. it was just like the very beginning. And not only was it around that time that you had done that, but we also were like working on the website yeah. and yeah. and who would have known that that stuff would have led to this, so... Seriously, it was an exciting true. time. Stuff that time that you. Oh, I felt very um, nervous about it. I was worried that I'd like you know uh, revealed too much or something like that. Oh, or yeah, it's very hard. I mean, it's like a very first step in the whole process. But I think it's been a really fantastic process. I was actually thinking about it recently and like trying like I, I think that you know speaking about my experiences and, and the difficulties has really helped me and helping other people with that as well mm. has really helped me sort of feel like I'm able to live with more like integrity you know what I mean interesting just being more honest with myself and and finding strength in that <laughs> she was so quiet and then the mics came on, and and now she's a... She's super joyful. <laughs> she's like, people are talking, and I'm going to talk, too. Hi, hi. Hi, Mazzy. Um, yeah, that's that's really interesting that you said that. I mean, it, um, integrity, in terms of, like, words I think about when I think about the documentary, like, definitely, I had to be vulnerable, and, like, people keep... See, I can't even say I, people, people keep using the word brave. <laughs> but I'm like, whatever. <laughs> but, you know, I think uh, a lot of... You step into your room and you have, like, brave posters everywhere. <laughs> just, like, memorabilia. just the word brave. <laughs> and then I have a picture of brave, huh? Exactly. <laughs> like, you have a Medina costume. <laughs> yeah. No, there's so much Scottish <laughs> bravery going on. Exactly. Uh, like well, not just true. not just brave like, heart, but like Scotland. Yeah. yeah, Scotland and bravery. Oh my! Because <laughs> it's hard to be a redhead or something. <laughs> um, or Scottish, or both. <laughs> um, no, I and and so I like that word that you used, integrity. And sometimes, sometimes I'm gonna confess, I sometimes I forget about the website, but there was a lot of work that was poured into that, and a lot of people contributed their stories and. It was the start of something like really exciting, and who knows? I mean, it's it's a journey that still continues, you know, mm-hmm. um, including the storytelling event that I did. But we can talk about that later. Okay. Yeah. 
But now let's 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 introduce Mazzy's mom. That's how I know her now, Mazzy's mom. <laughs> um, lucky her. Uh, and Anne is um, my friend from UCSD, and uh, we'll always talk about yeah. how we were introduced at the same time. It was her and a Romanian girl, or something, or Hungarian, <laughs> some yes. some Eastern European girl, and she was there for something called uh, uh, Asian American Christian Fellowship Dessert Night, and that's where you get introduced to our fellowship. And then they serve dessert, and I'm pretty sure that girl was there for dessert because soon after that sure. night she like split. I was like, okay, well she's gone, and then uh, Anne and I. Continued <laughs> I have been to that person at a few. <laughs> few christian <laughs> gatherings i'm just here for the pizza <laughs> well that's that's why i was there for the dessert not for the company but then i met Anne, and uh, we really hit it off because we're both enfps we are we'll also say that for later let's put that on the list of things for there's nothing to talk about she's basically me but not um yeah uh so uh we kept in touch um, and then I think uh, I can talk a little bit about how I got her involved in the documentary. We'd already been talking a lot about the th- things in her life, but we actually didn't talk about the main uh, thing that came up. We I had no idea. Mm. So we were just talking. You just almost wanted me to talk about my family, and then I just busted out with all my issues. No. And you're like, oh, no. <laughs> well, like... Here's the thing. Here's what I knew before you told me about. Vanessa's eyes get bigger and bigger. <laughs> well, we had a cry. We had a couple crying sessions. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. deep. But the thing is, it's like I didn't know about exactly about the abortion. Mm. I knew that I was having problems with boys. Yeah, and um, like because even after I graduated, I think you were still processing. Yeah, and I, I, I you mean when you ditched me? <laughs> you <laughs> ran back to LA. I was like. Ditching day. <laughs> <laughs> the, the day of ditching. Um yeah, and then, you know, like I, I know I we had been talking just intimately about, you know, like all the issues that you had experienced, mm-hmm. but you were talking about all the emotions around that time without telling me the exact details, which I mean that's like That's very Japanese American of me. But that's that's very Asian American Christian to me because I think <laughs> Like, like I know how to talk about hard things, but mm-hmm. in a way that's very nonspecific. Mm-hmm. You know, like, really, hey, is that where that comes from? Yeah, oh. a little bit. It's not because you're an NF. <laughs> <laughs> no, that too. It's like, oh, <laughs> this is the ultimate guest, Vanessa. Yeah, she's she's, she's kind of like deliver keyed, on so many levels. <laughs> she's keyed into a lot of things because she's she's me. <laughs> I know you. <laughs> I am you. (laughs) Get out of my head. (laughs) But then, you know, like, there is this sense that um, you're able to tell each other things, but you don't Mm. really tell each other. Well, you can talk about the emotion, and even that is a difficult thing to tell someone that you're struggling with something, Mm. that to have that conversation, but to actually say what it is, you don't. You don't. You just don't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I guess... You know, you know, someone had told me that you had taken or you had spoken to take back, take back the night, which you mentioned in your zine. Right. But I thought it was maybe more like around the issues of um, like rape or molestation or something Uh like that. uh But it was about a slightly different topic, Um, just having to do more with like 
um, like your body and how you felt about it and stuff right, like that. Right. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, I, I'm I'm being kind of vague on purpose, not mm-hmm. because I my default is to be non-specific, mm-hmm. but because I want you to kind of speak more directly about that. And um, yeah, so I think uh, you know we then had like a couple days of interview, and mm-hmm. you know you sweat. <laughs> you oh my was- gosh, our interviews are so sweaty. <laughs> I mean, if we're gonna talk, <laughs> was it during the winter or summertime? No, I just every okay. So every time we interviewed, we were in a different space because I was constantly moving around LA. <laughs> First it was Hawthorne, and then it was in a Gardena, right? Right, yeah. right. But I feel yeah. And then we were just always in really sweaty rooms. <laughs> Maybe because we were trying to you know block out the the street sounds. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And we would be closing all windows, getting and super emotional. Oh yeah, be super <laughs> sweaty. <laughs> That's what we call like it's condensation tears, dripping down on Asian you. tears, aka sweat. <laughs> That's actually every time April says her hands are sweating, it's because her eyes are tearing up. <laughs> She's trying to distract from that. No, no. Um, so, Anne, um, I didn't really explain who you are very well, but can you tell us uh, who you are and um, I guess uh, what you're doing right now? Yeah, um, I'm Anne Matsushimachu, and I. Your artist's name is Amisa Chu. Yeah, I go by Amisa when I write and do art. Um, I guess I guess I'm a zinester first, so I make zines and um, illustrate and do a little bit of writing. I used to do more writing, but now um, I'm kind of doing more illustration work. Um, also a painter. Yeah, I've done some paintings, and I like to do kind of experimental publication work. Um, I'm a librarian by trade. Woohoo! Yeah, go books. <laughs> so it kind of it kind of lends itself well to zines and independent publishing, and um, and then I'm a mom. So I just recently became a mom a year and a half ago, and that's been a full time gig for me, momming. Um, and, and so oh yeah. sorry, oh, and what's your what's your uh, ethnic background as well? Oh, and I'm I'm Japanese American, and I'm fourth generation Yonsei. So I think that, and I grew up in Gardena, California, with a lot of other Japanese Americans, and grew up in a predominantly Asian American community, and even when I went to college, I was in an Asian American community, and so a lot of my upbringing and the way I process emotions and my thinking processes and things, I think, are very Japanese American specifically, and I didn't realize that until I was outside of the community trying to live my life and you know process daily emotions how do you sorry. Oh, no no <laughs> go ahead go ahead how do you um like what to you makes the way that you process emotions more japanese american specific versus asian american or even asian i think japanese americans are very nonverbal. uh-huh so we have a very specific nonverbal language where we I, f- I feel like people assume that you know the moment you walk in a room that you know all the history and all the um, what you're supposed to do, your role, your obligations, and it's all unspoken. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of pressure, I think, if you don't want to live that way. Uh-huh. You know, I think that's very Japanese and Japanese Americans. I think I think if I'm going to stereotype it, it's very like beat around the bush, non-specific non-concrete things the uh-huh. way that they talk at least i think and then they don't want to offend you in person uh-huh. they 
it's, it's it's not very direct in the communication style. It's very indirect, beating around the bush, um, non-confrontational. Uh-huh. So I think those are very specific to Japanese American, com- the way that they communicate. And I, I think I know this because, you know, my husband is Chinese um, and his parents are from Hong Kong. Uh-huh. And so their communication style, I think, is pretty radically different, uh-huh. which is ref- which was refreshing to me. And I think that's why um, Alex and I's relationship worked in, in a way, because his communication was more straightforward. And at that time, I needed that, uh-huh. to, you know, to be able to communicate better. You know, so I learned a lot of communication skills from him. And I think in turn, I gave him a lot of um, uh, different different ways to, uh, I guess, um, communicate in a different way. Uh-huh. I, don't, I mean, how do I say that? And I, we just communicate in different ways. And we found that um, we helped each other communicate as a whole, holistically right. better, mm-hmm. you know, uh-huh. because we, we had two different families, two different ways of being. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just kind of that balance. Mm-hmm. No, I, I like that because I, I would say that uh, that Chinese are definitely a little more direct, but we hide indirectness because the things that we're more direct about. You hide indirectness. I know. Do you Whoa. Like Paradise. <laughs> because like, like we talked a little bit with like Stephanie about like how Chinese people might say, oh, you gained a lot of weight. You know, like, or oh, you know, like something like, and they're very direct about certain things, uh-huh. but they won't talk about other things. You know, like, because you're direct about this, but you won't mention the fact that maybe you gained a lot of weight because you have like a sickness or something like that, or like, you know, like, or uh, or you're uh-huh. really depressed about something. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You can talk about the weight and be direct about that and rude. Mm. You know, direct to the point mm. of rudeness, but you're mm. not. Um, you know, you're you're not actually talking about maybe the the reasons behind that, like the emotional reasons. Mm-hmm. So, um, I and I guess like I the, the question that I was going to ask was, um, you talked about how you didn't notice until you, you know, you came out of your community. Like, so is that true in Portland? Like, is that like because right now you're living in Portland, right? Yeah. Which is I think predominantly um, Caucasian, right? Right. And is this what you're talking about in terms of like realizing how Japanese American you are? I think I first. Well, I, I lived in Atlanta uh, oh. for a stint, and um, I was living with other women of color, um, and two of them were Latina. One of them was Asian American, Korean American. And um, one of them was white from Kentucky. And so we were coming from a lot of different cultures, living in a black community. And so in that context, I learned a lot about myself in the ways I communicated through little things, just roommate things like, you know, if it's your turn to wash the dishes, how are you going to communicate that if someone is not doing their chore? Um. And I realized in that process of living with other people that the way I communicated was non-verbally. I, I didn't actually ever say, hey, you didn't do the dishes, man. It's your turn. <laughs> you know, I thought me looking at them with a side <laughs> eye was communicating, hey, you didn't do the dishes. Looking at the dishes, then looking at them, right. then looking at the dishes. Right. And I was like, I'm screaming here. You don't hear me screaming. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, it, I, that's when I first learned because I was living in so such close proximity and community with people. Uh-huh. I'm learning about myself in different ways living in Portland. I've, this is my fourth year living in Portland. Four years? It's been four years already? It's going on to four years, so it's oh, been three wow. full years. And um, 
yeah, I'm learning a lot about myself and I'm learning a lot about, um, I think I've been processing my home community of Gardena and Torrance and the Japanese American community, as well as, you know, for me, separate from that, just myself. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's a majority white city. Um, but there's a lot of things that are interesting kind of going around in the city. I think there's a lot of movement in the city right now. And, um, there's a lot of gentrification that's definitely Uh happening in the inner city of Portland, like the inner streets. And so a lot of, a lot of communities of color are getting pushed out. That's just the story of Portland currently in the last 10 years or so. And so, um, Alex and I just actually moved, uh, further out. of the city we're still in portland city limits but we're on the further east side of portland and so that makes it sound really like we're living on the limits of portland i mean we're pretty much on the edge of portland now and and so there's a lot of new things that are happening on the east side because of that um so um actually the community that we're living in right now is very diverse oh and so um yeah, it's and we're working with we're working alongside a lot of people right now. And we're actually going to um, like a predominantly black church currently mm-hmm. that's focused on um, creating a multi ethnic community and multicultural community. And so being so it's interesting being in a white city, being Asian American in a predominantly um, ethnic church community mm-hmm. and and you know com- neighborhood community as well. So that, I think that's been, so I'm seeing my Asian Americanness in a different way because I, I still feel like I don't have a lot of Asian American friends in Portland, mm. but it's my first opportunity, I think, in chance to meet friends of other races in a, in a more personal way than I ever had a chance to before. Uh-huh. So, so yeah, it's, I've been learning a lot about myself. Two, two questions before we really jump into the meat of this. Um, one <laughs> Weird. Yeah, I know. Like nobody else can see the meat. <laughs> and then the 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 stiffening of the back. <laughs> and um, no, no, no. I wanted to ask. Uh, Portland was somewhere that you had kind of wanted to seek um, an artist community, and I'm wondering if you found that. And then, okay. So my question, second question is, do you miss like uh, just having more Asian American friends? That's a complicated question. Oh yeah, it's complicated. I mean, let's go. Let's start with complicated. The, let's start with the easy maybe. one. So we, ha- I have met a community of artists there, and actually, it's a community that was already in existence before I had ever been in Portland, and we plugged in from other artist friends. Great. And um, so it's a comics community, and um, experimental comics, and so most people are illustrators and super awesome. Uh, and we and Alex and I really feel at home in our weirdness. In <laughs> fact, we have to strive to be more weird because everyone is always yeah. just up in the weird level. Yeah. And so we love it because it's like we're walking around in monster head costumes and everyone's like, yeah, what else is new? <laughs> I got one at home, too. You know. And actually, I do it every day between four to six. So actually, that. someone the other day was like, I think you guys are like furries but monsters <laughs> and they were like it's not sexual furries you know people just dress up in animal costumes and get together and gather just like you like to dress up like <laughs> monsters and get together and gather and i was like i 
guess. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I can make that mental leap with them. But I feel like people are super supportive of what, what currently we're doing. Um, right now, I think it's more Alex's element. Mm. And I get to be along for the ride on that mm. level. Just because I think having Mazzy and being a mom has taken up a lot of my energy and time. Right. Oh, yeah. um, but it's cool. I, I feel like I'm... I, I, I have a a place in it too, and um, I think ultimately we we could just be ourselves in the weirdness. You know, it's not weird to be weird, so I like that. I don't feel. I feel like it's embraced. Okay. That's that's yeah. And as for as for missing my Asian American community or a Asian American community, I think that's co- complex only because. When I left for Portland, I just was searching for something else mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah. I was kind of over only having an Asian American community. Mm-hmm. I don't think I was trying to run away from it per se. I just wanted to experience something apart from that for a little bit. Right. And find my own place in the Asian American. I mean, that's kind of still what I'm trying to think is is what I'm always trying to think of like what is my specific role in the Asian American community if I was in it mm-hmm. or am in it you mm-hmm. know what is my my particular role and so I I wanted to use this time to go to go to grad school which I did to mm-hmm. be a librarian and figure out myself you know so I don't know I think I think the zines is a really big part of who I am and a really big part of who I am in the Asian American community I just need to meet more zinesters that are Asian American. I need more. I need to meet more creative people who are Asian American. You know, um, I think Asian Americans are pretty serious in general. You know. Yeah. What's wrong with them? Just, Can we talk about that? It's just serious. You know. Mm. So, like their life perspectives. <laughs> yeah. I mean. I mean. Sometimes. Even our comedies. <laughs> you don't have to feel guilty about that. I do. I you do. don't have to feel guilty I do feel about guilty, that. No. Kind of. I think Sometimes I just want people to lighten up a little bit. Yeah. You know, just like relax a little bit. Like be okay with um, being outside of the bubble of things or being outside of the way everyone else is thinking and being and doing. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and I, I, I think it's because I'm not within this second generation immigrant mentality mm. you know i'm fourth generation so i think there's a little bit more removedness from that even though i still grew up in an asian american community right. that was pretty tight-knit and pretty ethnocentric right, right. Yeah. i think uh so i don't have all those quote-unquote asian american pressures per se uh-huh. but yeah sometimes i just want to be to see more people break out of that right you know without losing their what makes them asian american yeah you know so no i I think i i like i like that you mentioned that because i think even our comedy is a little serious (laughs) but you know like i i like there's there's always you know or at least for me i want to achieve that balance um and most of the time because i'm such a silly person i'm trying to like be more serious <laughs> or, or, or April gets to experience yeah. more of both parts of me, <laughs> mostly the melodramatic stuff. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Like, I don't know if you feel this way, but like, you know, 
I, so I grew up obviously in Arcadia and went to school in LA and then moved down to Orange County for mm-hmm. work. And then I, you know, slowly over the past 10, 11 years have this really great, like OC, you know, different sects of my OC, like social life, you mm-hmm. know, from school to f- just work friends or whatever. And, you know, everything's good and everything's groovy. And then I go back to Arcadia or hang out again with my Arcadia friends. And then suddenly I feel horrible about my life. Mm. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, no, everyone's buying houses. Mm. Everyone's Mm. like, you know, talking about their, you know, crazy new job or this and this Mm. and that, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's it's very concentrated in, I feel like in that community. And I know there are probably very similar communities across Southern California as well. And it takes me like a week again to sort of recenter myself after that sort of like one, you know, encounter where I'm just like, what has happened with my life? Well, I think it's how we value success, right? Like what is success? Right. So, yeah. And all those things I think fade away. What what and uh, and I always want to. Are you people happy? Am I happy? <laughs> yeah, I think I'm more stressed out. <laughs> you know, it's true. I mean, suddenly when we had a kid, everyone was like, "Do you have a savings account yeah. for your child for college?" And I'm like, "Hold on, she's like six months. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Can we back up a little bit? You know, I don't want to. I feel bogged down by all of it. A little bit, yeah, no. a little bit. It's little, true. Little bit. How do you feel, Vanessa? Yeah, I think there's a sense. I was I was just talking about this with um, uh, my friend Sayako and um, about having a community, you know, specifically, uh, and how my old community doesn't really understand what I do, you know, and that's kind of a bummer um, to kind of exist in, uh, you know, like a creative industry, and then for people kind of to think. Um, you do something very specific when you don't, you know, you, you right. like you, or, or even what I'm tra- trying to achieve, it's kind of like, um, they're both not social justice minded necessarily. And they're not also creatively mm-hmm. focused. So then a lot of the focus is on other things and other kind of life achievements. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing is, it's like, even within, um, my industry, like I want to be doing like achieving things. Like I want to be, I want to be like the fact that I'm on a big show, like in what I do makes me feel a little gratified, you know? And cause then people recognize like, Oh, like, Oh, that's what you work on. Cool. You know? Mm-hmm. Or if I was working on, I don't know, something like really small and independent and nobody's ever heard of it. I think I would feel differently. Like I wouldn't feel as recognized by my peers or, you know, yada, yada, yada. And you know, the pressure is real. <laughs> the pressure is real to mm-hmm. kind of like, uh, to pull in, you know, um, a paycheck and to have like a specific standard of living and, um, whether or not I live on the West side, I think that, um, you have to like carve out spaces for yourself to just be who you are and, you know, not care about the fact that you didn't, you know, you're not paying towards a mortgage or, you know, that you're, uh, not necessarily, um, going to fancy restaurants every other week because there's a double income, no kid kind of situation. And I I can't hate on that either. Like it's easy to be jealous and to hate on that. But, um, yeah, I guess like 
sometimes sometimes and I, maybe that's the reason why i want to like move because <laughs> i'm like where do you want to move i was gonna like move to i don't know san francisco but now it's all tech. Oh, right 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 but now it's all like tech and you know like i wanted a documentary community the way that you have an artist community like like oh everybody's like you know doing something where we're just never gonna get paid like it's all passion projects. i bet it exists you just have to find it no no, no it, it definitely exists and i think la is maybe not the most conducive to those kinds of things but you know i think in that in that sense we're trying to figure it out but it's it's also hard to get away from an asian american community like i still like even in those kinds of situations like i gravitate towards asian americans like my mm-hmm. small group right now is like half white half asian american you know mm-hmm. sorry we don't have more i like i wanted to get a space that was actually more multi-ethnic but even mm-hmm. within that type like i can feel myself gravitating towards specific type of people mm-hmm. that i think like i could like because even like when you have a, a small group that's like 12 people like you have to find people that you can bond with and right it's, it's just not that they're the same type of people but i feel like they're living in a community that um appreciates grace and the gospel so it's like my old faith community but slightly different with like a slightly different emphasis on things that you know they want to be pursuing yeah. so I'm, i mean i mean i'm glad i'm glad that I've had the opportunity to seek out Asian Americans that are social justice focused. I think that's been really, really neat. And so I think, I think since that became a, something that I was searching for, I think when you're searching for something, you slowly start finding it. Right. So I am thankful that I've slowly found Asian American folks that are social justice minded and focused doing really, really good work. Mm -hmm. And, and if they're creative as well, like double whammy, awesome. Right. Um, I don't necessarily meet a lot of like social justice art focused people that are also pretty freaking weird. (laughs) (laughs) So when I find that, I'm like the Holy grail. Like let's be friends immediately. Right. (laughs) Like I see you. (laughs) you. I'm like zooming in, you know, and and that, you know, I used to get a lot of flack from, um, folks and you know sometimes you know my parents not like a big deal but just like why do you want to do that to your hair why do you want to look this way or you know why is that important just questioning it and I always felt like you know the way you look and the the choice of clothes and your like lifestyle choices I almost time it's like sometimes it's a signifier right mm. and so sometimes it's just so like people can have an easier time figuring out maybe they'll, yeah maybe they'll connect mm-hmm. maybe you'll connect you know so mm. um yeah so sometimes finding alternative folks like that you know even though that's like kind of a um superficial thing like how you style your hair or whatever whatever how what shirt you wear sometimes sometimes to me it's easier to find people in a random crowd and then you know try to find connections yeah Um, no i think i think part of it has to do with like what you talked about like more being more active mm -hmm. right but also has to like you're talking about signals that are very nonverbal. do you know what i'm saying like very like hey i see you Mm-hmm. With your with your dreads, your mm-hmm. Asian dreads, mm-hmm. and uh, your leopard print. Sorry, I'm just like naming things that you're wearing right now. <laughs> and that's been an interesting process to me. I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure uh, what I'm. What I. Th- I mean, I, so I've had dreadlocks for like three years now, and I don't know how I feel about them still. And and uh, 
Yeah, I think it's easier for me to have a hairstyle like this in a, a non-black community, right? Because no one's questioning it. But mm-hmm. I'm currently like tr- currently trying to make relationships outside of my com- comfort zone, you know. Mm-hmm. So like trying to create a community that is multi-ethnic with all these different voices in it, and then you you start seeing how you you yourself, even in your ignorance or naivete, are appropriating other cultures, right? How that maybe other people are appropriating your culture and you're appropriating other people's culture. So it's 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 something that I've been currently questioning about myself, mm. right? Like, do I keep this hairstyle because I've invested this much time into experimenting, quote unquote, or do I? You know, is it is it time for me to start anew and just be who I am, even though I think that long, straight black hair is like not something that I I've always had trouble with. I can't style it. So it's Uh like, you know, so, yeah, it's something I've been having conversations slowly with people about. Yeah. And I think it's scary for me. So I don't. Yeah, I don't I don't know. It's it's something I think a lot about, and I'm like, what do I do? I don't know. I, like I really, I, I really honestly don't know, and I'm just trying to like be honest about it and talk more about it. And I, but I still have it. That's the thing. It's like I'm not changing anything. Right. But um, those thoughts are in my mind. everybody if you like what you've heard so far on this podcast check out episode 104 called therapy here's a quick sample oh i enjoy i love therapy <laughs> not bad because <laughs> all of the attention is on Kristen. well it is but it's also a, a a space for me to um i guess unleash all those thoughts and feelings i have that i always thought that weren't going to be accepted It's funny that we talk about this now because it's been three years since I finished the documentary and then um, five years since we last had a conversation, I believe. Uh, like wow. we sat down and I interviewed you because it was like maybe 2010 or 2011 that we had that the second conversation at the Gardena house right. and then also with your parents. Right. And, um, you know, you had you kind of like off off mic had been talking about the ways that you were speaking out and and processing out loud mm-hmm. which i think is always kind of a scary thing too mm-hmm. you know and um as nfs obviously we're always thinking <laughs> there yeah i slipped that in <laughs> i slipped that in for you um you know just processing stuff uh but you know i'm kind of curious um do you want to go do you want to go backwards in time in sure. terms of like where you are now and where you were then or do you want to do you want to start from, start from the very beginning very good, good place to start. start if we're going to start at the very beginning i need a place to start <laughs> when you sing you begin with abc um no i i think like uh maybe we can start with um Maybe, I mean, we could start with the first time I had asked you to be in the documentary. Cause I'm kind of curious, like how you felt. Cause like, I, and to be honest, like we talked about talking, we talked about talking a little bit, but I don't know exactly how you feel about once you saw the documentary or, you know, like well, I've, I've talked a little bit to April about what she uh-huh. thought and, you know. 
Well, I mean, like you said, we were friends in college, and I remember having lots of conversations with you while in college. I mean, specifically, I remember this conversation we had in, like, a car, and we were, like, crying about our lives. Do you remember this? We were, like, parked somewhere. Oh, my gosh. Just talking. This happens a lot, huh? I know. I was just thinking, like... This happens a lot to Vanessa. <laughs> she just holds the world's cares in her. You know, and so we were talking, and I think that naturally transitioned into our documentary. And I think a lot of times when I talk to people about filming the documentary with you, I'm like, well, with Vanessa, I mean, if anyone else had filmed the documentary, I don't think it would have been as easy of a transition to go from like, mm. hi, we're talking as friends to hi, I'm filming you talking about your deepest <laughs> issues. She right? tricks you. Right. So I think, I mean, I think for me, it was very, an easy transition. And I don't remember the exact moment that you like asked me to be in the documentary. I felt like I just was in it. <laughs> and we were there <laughs> and you're like eight hours. Okay. what? Another one, eight hours, yeah. you know? So, but I mean, I like to say that the, so we entered the documentary and it was so, such an easy transition that suddenly I was a participant in this project for, for time, for the time period. And then the, the project itself was helping me process my real issues Mm -hmm. and almost dictating how I was interacting with those real issues in my real life so that without the documentary project in my life, I wouldn't have actually dealt with those issues. I was dealing with them because of the documentary. Mm. Like it was a tool for me to process my emotions about a specific topic and be, and be vulnerable and open because there was, you know, it's like filming a therapy session, Mm. you know? And so I, I could have maybe had the same conclusions or epiphanies in therapy, but because I think I knew that it was going to be on, on film, there was something about that, that it made it more like public. And so I like year after year of thinking my, my words and my life are going to become public that made me process it in a more real way because I was like, this is, people are going to see this and that, and I was, I was okay with it, you know, but I think that, that aspect of it made me deal with things, you know, if, if it became become public, then that means my family can know. That means that my friends can know. That means that this issue in my life that was so deeply hidden and seated in my life can suddenly rise to the surface and then it'd be okay, you know? Mm. And so, but, I, and I also think that there was so much time that passed that I was going through my twenties into my late twenties that you know, naturally the process is, I don't, you know, something happens to you and you're so like deeply affected and you're hiding it because you're embarrassed or scared. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly as you're going through life, you realize, oh, all these things are happening to other people and they're not as embarrassed and scared. So why am I so embarrassed and scared? Right. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's like, and then I realized suddenly, huh, why am I so ashamed of something that happens to a lot of people? I shouldn't be ashamed. It should be empowering to me that this, you know, happen to me. I should be, I should be using this, you know, situation instead of feeling bad or ashamed about it because then it's not helping anyone, you know, like, so maybe that was my paradigm shift as I was going through the documentary. And, and it was funny because when I was watching the documentary, which was funny to me, I was like, Oh, a lot of it is not in it, the documentary. Right. So it's like, so that that's a funny issue to me. I mean, that's a funny like thing that happened to me too. I was like, oh, it's not as revealed as I 
thought it might have been. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't. I had no idea how the uh, the final cut was going to be like. Right. And so I had to be okay with the entirety of it, mm-hmm. right? So I was okay with the entirety of it. And then when I saw the documentary and I saw that actually my life wasn't as revealed as I was, then I felt a lot of freedom too to be like, okay, well now that now that I'm okay with it, it actually could be revealed. And then now, so now I think in the last couple of years, I've been slowly revealing and, but also meeting very key people in my life that have also had abortions that are also Asian American. Mm -hmm. And so I think those two things combined is giving me, is empowering me to, um, just be comfortable in my own skin maybe. And, and finally feeling like, huh, maybe, maybe this happened for me to, you know, I always wanted to feel like, huh, maybe this, maybe this early twenties abortion experience happened for me to talk to other young Asian American ladies and be like, your situation, it's okay that it happened to you. You, and you can see it as something that, um, you're not alone in and you can, um, live through it however you decide to deal with it, that's up to that person, but it's okay. Mm. You know, like it shouldn't, I, I think that people need to know that they're not being judged, that it's okay. Like that they can have that space to heal without judgment. Have you already encountered people where you were able to kind of empower them? Um, I've encountered peers. I haven't encountered like, non-peers yet so i've encountered older women and i've encountered peers okay um and the thing about encountering peers is that um i went through a lot of emotionally really really tough times during my early 20s specifically my the year that I turned 21 Mm -hmm. it was a pretty rough year for me it was the year that I was graduating college and it was just rough um maybe I barely squeaked by graduating you know kind of roughness where um, my grades dropped I became pretty isolate um I kind of pushed well a lot of my friends were studying abroad so I was isolated in a way where no one really realized it because a lot mm-hmm. of people were, went away for to study abroad uh, I, I spent a lot of time working that year yeah um and so I was de- dealing with a lot of emotions and then right after that I just moved out of the community that I was in to a different community and was dealing with, I started going through uh, a lot of counseling and things like that. And, uh, um, so because I dealt with that in a way, I felt like I had a lot of time to heal, you know, in a really like intense way. And so my girlfriends that maybe went through similar abortion experience that didn't deal with it like that, maybe kind of pushed it aside and like started just living their regular life and said, okay, there's that, but I'm not going to like put any emotions to it. I'm just going to, it's going to be there are now dealing with their experiences now. Is it because they also, they're, they're trying to be mothers? Like what has um, provoked them to start dealing with it now? I think, I I think it's time. I think, I think because these people are my peers, it's like maybe they were dealing with this in their early twenties and now we're entering our early thirties. So there's a 10 year gap between that time. And, and maybe it's one of those things where they feel like 
now is a time to start yeah like just healing with their life in order to move on to the next chapter or something I don't know I don't know exactly what it is but um I just gave my zine uh to one of my close girlfriends and uh I didn't warn her maybe that was my mistake but I didn't warn her what it was about so she started reading it while we were just like in the middle of a restaurant Oh, Uh-oh. and uh, she started crying and she's like, you didn't warn me. And she had gone through a similar experience that mm. I did, but just we've dealt with it in different ways, you sure. know. And so um, that was actually healing for me, though, to see that and her respond like that, because I felt like, oh, maybe maybe I'm communicating my life in a, cl- in a more clear way than I had done in the past. So her tears actually were kind of an indication to me that, huh, maybe my healing is help going to help someone else heal too. Right. You know? Um, yeah, no, I, I, I think, um, it's interesting to get to see, cause like I'm on the other side of the glass, right? Like I'm on behind the camera, behind the mic now, you know, and, and, and watching, you know, your progress and from not knowing anything, just that you were having a hard time to hear you're able to publish a zine and it's, it's limited publishing, but like, you know, uh, you write about it in a way that's, um, you know, like less veiled as we talked about than, than maybe your paintings were. Cause you, mm-hmm. you had been doing those pregnancy paintings that we got like amazing B-roll of that we just weren't <laughs> able to use, but you know, like, um, but now they're connected, like some of your artwork is connected to the words in a way that's really, really powerful and, and, and gives me a really like a lot of insight into, cause your, your words, your, your words, uh, lay, uh, a foundation and then, and then your art kind of speaks to um the words and fills in the blanks a little bit in a like a more poetic way you know what i'm saying like uh one thing that i think about a lot is like you know tell it slant like you can't always say the thing so directly and you have to give it you have to present it to people in a way that they can consume it you know Mm -hmm. and um Mm -hmm. so uh, you know like what was it like for you to write the zine? And then kind of also, I think what would help is give people a context of how many years between, um, 21 and like now, not, not like tell us your age, but like, like, can you give us like a timeline of like, you know, like things don't happen like suddenly or th- cause I think right. that's, that's the, that's one of those things that like, once you're on the other side of something, like now that I'm on the other side of my depression, like it's something that I th- think that I'll always have with me, right. not just that event of being my first year and being like lonely and depressed, but uh-huh. like, and I think that the, like, you know, like depression is one of those chronic diseases that it will stay with you, mm-hmm. you know, that mm-hmm. it can come back at any time where mm-hmm. you'll, you know, you can go into remission or whatever and to, to, to use that kind of language, but I'm kind of, but it's easy to talk about that as if it was in the past. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of curious, like for you and your process, like mm-hmm. how many, how many years would you say you've processed it? And then like, what, where were those, uh, turning points for you? Yeah. So it's been nine years. Um, I got I got pregnant for the first time when I was, I just turned 21. Mm -hmm. So literally like a couple days after I turned 21, um, I, uh, participated in like a take back the night open word kind of thing, but it was more, um, 
I wasn't in a, I was in a relationship that felt a little bit one sided and I was on the opposite side of the side that was the one, <laughs> you know, kind of like the girl on the other side or on the side and there was multiple people in the relationship. So it was just it was I, I felt like I wasn't in a good place and. Um, uh, uh and so, and I got some counseling over the past years, um, and uh, I entered a relationship like the year after that happened, and spent maybe a whole year and a half crying every night. It was really, really sad about my life, and all this was kind of a secret to a majority of people. It was very like a cave of sadness, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to say. Um, and then, uh, so I moved out of state and then came back to California and lived in California for about five years. And during that time, while we were filming the documentary, I wasn't necessarily sad, um, as sad as I was. I mean, before I would not even be able to like have a conversation with someone about being pregnant. And I, I couldn't be around people who were talking about pregnancy. I couldn't even be around people who thought they were pregnant or had kids. I just... I couldn't deal with that. I just, I, I didn't think I was going to ever have kids again because I couldn't deal with that process. And so um, I decided uh, to get married when I was 25. Um, and then my husband, Alex, and I lived in Gardena for a couple years and we were doing art and um, yeah, pretty much doing art. I started working at the Asian American Studies Library at UCLA and that's how I got into librarianship. Um, but that whole time, I wasn't really necessarily actively processing my life. I was just mm -hmm. living my life, you know. And then we moved to Portland in 2012, and we've been there for three years now. I think it was the when I got pregnant with Mazzy um, in 2013 um, that I started thinking about motherhood more. And um, uh, my first... My second, uh, my first year of Portland, I was working a lot, just trying to get any job. We were trying to just make it, you know. And then the second year, um, I decided to enter grad school, and so I, I quit my job, and Alex was supporting both of us, and I became pregnant, and I had a lot more time to myself in the apartment, just thinking and processing life, and I was thinking about motherhood and um, my. I think a lot about the South Bay in California, you know, in LA. I think a lot about if I'm supposed to be there again. Um, my, my role in it, like my responsibility for it. I have a lot of prayers for it. Um, but unfortunately, I don't feel like I could be there currently. Um, but I think about it a lot. Like it's on my heart a lot. Um, so that it all came all together. Um, so I was thinking a lot about motherhood and it was really um, becoming really emotional for me. And so I but and I, and I always wanted to write a zine about um, my politics, actually. Mm. And I can never write actual words. I can never articulate kind of my feelings. And I really respect um, like political comedians, you know, like Jenny Yang and Christina Wong. I really respect those ladies. So um, and I just could never create content like that. Right. I would always just like do like really bizarre drawings. <laughs> it would always just come out super bizarre and I could never put words to it. And I was like, why? What am I doing wrong? Like, why can't I just do this? Um, so this is actually one of my first scenes that I would I sat down and I wrote and I drew and it had words. <laughs> 
Good job, Anne. You did it. <laughs> Cohesion. Cohesion. So it's been a lot. And I created about five other zines that w- I wanted to make this scene. And it would just always become super bizarre, you know. And it was just only only images. And I just could never get out my writing. And I wanted to do this story about all the different hairstyles I've had. Because a lot. Uh, so backtracking. A big part of my outward appearance when I first had my abortion is I shaved my head. I could not deal with like anything else. And I just decided, okay, I'm going to buzz my head. So one day after work, my, my boss that at the coffee shop that I was working at coffee cart, shout out. Uh, (laughs) She, uh, she, she buzzed my head after work one day. And, uh, that was a big part of my identity for a while that I had a shaved head. Um, so I wanted to talk about that and, and I, you know, and then while I was in Atlanta, I got a tattoo and, um, it's of a, it's of a blank circle and that has to do with the abortion as well. So everything that I was doing had to do with the abortion and everyone would always ask me, what do these tattoos mean? Or why did you shave your head? I could just never be open about it. I was always like the moon, <laughs> the moon. <laughs> which is, which is part of it. <laughs> But it, not the full story. Yeah. It was like an empty moon. <laughs> and I would just stop there. Um, and so, yeah, so the, the process of writing this has been a really, really long process, about nine years. And, um, and actually, when I created this zine, I just wrote it in one go. I typed it on a typewriter. So there was no backpedaling. I just did it as is. I and I, the I created the, the, um, the way I formatted it as is. So I just would cut out the page and then I just slapped the drawing on top. You know, mm-hmm. I drew this drawing separate and I slapped it on top. And then photocopied it. It was a pretty gritty process, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's been a long time coming. I think um, it wasn't an easy thing for me to do at all. Um, I think the ideas were with me. I mean, one of the major ideas that I have um, that's a reoccurring theme in terms of my abortion is that um, you have to name your pain. And so early on, I had decided that my baby, who I didn't know what it was or what, you know, because it was so early on that when I had the abortion, like eight weeks or something, uh, you know, I named this being Pearl. That's the reason that I had this tattoo of a pearl, of a moon pearl on my back, you know, Um, and this idea that, you know, a circle could represent a full or empty moon and this idea that a pearl is um, created out of like the grit of an oyster over time, over long suffering time, over the pain of this grit comes a beautiful thing, right? And so it was very symbolic and veiled. Um, so I, I had all these reoccurring themes that I would write little jots in my journal and things. Um, and I would refer to Pearl a lot <laughs> and everyone was like, it's Pearl. <laughs> so, and, and, and it appears in the zine. And I think that, uh, and I even wrote, I was part of uh, this writing group, uh, through the Tuesday night project, um, oh, called yeah. undeniables for quite a while. And, um, a lot of my writing had to do with Pearl. Mm-hmm. A lot of my writing had to do with uh, very veiled short fiction about these beings of light, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it was the first time I really connected all these ideas very in an expli- more explicit way. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what I like about your process and 
you know, we're talking about a nine year process is that you didn't just choose like one way to do it. I think you chose a lot of different people, you know, in a lot of different ways. Cause I think there have been a lot of people along the way. Like we talk about Atlanta and we talk about, you know, your husband and we talk about you being in the documentary with me and, um, and, and just all these people along the way who have been, you know, kind of guiding or also kind of helping the process. And I, I think that's important to point out because, you know, when you, when you go through something that's sad, you know, like for mm-hmm, you, that mm-hmm. was so traumatic, mm-hmm. you know, that y- you, it took, it took some time and cause you're still processing it too. Right. And, but like, you're also, um, you're not just choosing one thing like, Oh, well this is the one thing that's going to solve everything. Cause you went through counseling too. Uh-huh. And I'm curious, um, you talked about, uh, the documentary being like a therapy session. I'm wondering what did you feel like before and after the process? Uh, can you clarify that? I guess like before were you, were you nervous? And then afterwards you were like, okay, so now it's public. Oh, now okay. I have to talk about it in a public way. Uh-huh. But then, um, uh-huh. w- did you feel like the whole conversation? I think a lot of people have questions about the the conversation with your parents, you know, like oh, how you felt yeah. about that. That's and- very key. You know, for me, my mom knew early on. Cause she asked, I think I re- revealed it in a way where I was like, I got a tattoo. She's like, why? And then I started crying and then told her right. <laughs> it was very easy for me to <laughs> like spill my beans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But this was, I mean, even when I told her it was like a year or two after, you know, mm-hmm. so I had waited some time to tell them. And, um, and even some of my best friends didn't know. Sure. Uh, so, um, but I think there was a key point where once I told my dad, my dad was the hardest person to tell. I don't, I don't know why. It was just very emotional for me. Sure. And so um, I think it's because um, our relationship is not super open. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're close, but it's not. Um, let me tell you about all the nitty gritties of my life, mm-hmm. you know, and let's cry about it. It's not as emotional as that. And so he was a very hard person for me to kind of gather up all my <laughs> gumption, I guess, to tell him. And then once I did that because of the documentary, <laughs> because what I, and, and the story is, is that the night before Vanessa was going to come over to film the scene where I tell my dad. I hadn't tell, told my dad oh, yet. Oh, no. So I had to call him. Oh. This is a good like, story. By, by the way. way this is what happened to me. And he's like, okay, (laughs) okay. I'll see you tomorrow. (laughs) That was it. That was it. And then when we saw each other the next day, um, yeah, even, even when I, and I, even when I watched that scene and for the reason that my dad hasn't watched the documentary yet is because he doesn't want to see himself on camera. Cause I think that was a very vulnerable moment for him. Yeah, I, was. I think he just didn't know how to respond to it. And he even says it in the documentary, like, I don't know what to say for yeah. you. He didn't, I, I asked he didn't have him. a lot of time to process it either. Right. Right. And I, I think, I think for him too, it's not he's not the type of person that tells me what to do a lot, mm-hmm. how to feel or what to think. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm asking him, well, wh- you know, what do you think about this? I think for him, it was like, well, you, it's your life that you're living. I think that's when he says, I don't know what to say. I think he's responding in a way where it's like, well, it was your life. You made those decisions. I'm just here to support you, but you're asking me how I'm feeling and I'm probably feeling what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. Right nothing apart from that, you know? Mm -hmm. 
So, um, and I think that was the response I kind of was expecting, mm. but that was probably the most key vulnerable moment in the whole pro- documentary project, but also maybe in the history of our relationship right. in wow. real life too, you know? That, so, I was super stressed out when I watched that. I mean, your, <laughs> your storyline I think is probably central to the documentary and also because it's sort of playing out real time, you mm. know? And I remember watching like the first screening of it and I was just like, like I couldn't breathe. <laughs> I was so nervous. Mm-hmm. And, but but at the same time, like, I'm very, like, proud of you, you know, and your family, and that's hard. Yeah. And I, Vanessa. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, my parents are very connected my with house. the Asian American community in which right. V <laughs> is screening her documentary. Right. <laughs> so I think that's another level of vulnerability. Right. To, see, to be in the documentary is one vulnerability, or yep. to actually okay it, right? right? And then to know it's public. But to know that it's public in your own community, right. that's yes. scary, right? right? And so I think um, maybe you filmed it at UCLA and you had... Uh, I screened it there, yeah. Yeah, you had uh, um, Carol Meake. And so my parents know maybe her... F- parents yeah and so my dad was very concerned if her parents were there uh-huh. he just needed to know uh-huh. if they were there or not uh-huh. he didn't necessarily I don't think he was necessarily bothered if they were but he just had to know for himself right like, if I interact with them again do they know have they seen right. me in this space right and then my mom was at a conference um about healing and um counseling and ministry and two young ladies came up to her and said I saw you in this film oh, and my wow. mom had no and my mom knows what they're talking about but she hasn't actually seen it herself either because she's I, I think I think she needed to to be ready to I think she needed time to pass right um and so she you know so for them to have these occurrences where people are coming up to them and say I've seen you in a very vulnerable space right that's that's pretty intense yeah. for them. Have you ever been approached? Which um, is no, it's just no. funny. It's like, I'm just, but maybe because they're in that community, and I'm not, I'm not necessarily right. totally immersed in that. Right. Yeah. So they've they've heard back about it more than you have. Really. Right. I've had wow. I've had uh, less chance maybe to have feedback. Right. Wait, have you heard from anybody about the doc? No. Who would I hear from? I don't know. You know people. You know <laughs> no Asian one in my Christians. life, for some reason, like has intersected with that part of my life. Mm-hmm. They have to know you also. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Or, mm-hmm. Well, I, I guess some. Um... Oh, I did. <laughs> At your what? storytelling event, your friend. Oh, son. Yeah. 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 She was. She introduced herself. She was very sweet. She said that she saw the documentary and that she heard like an episode of the podcast. Oh, maybe it was Deborah. No. She was Asian. She had long hair. And glasses. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Son. She helped edit that last bit. And Mm. she was actually like this whole time, like I'm editing the documentary. I'm like, I hate my life, you know? And I didn't, you know, like it took someone like son to keep going. This is important. You have to do this. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to finish this. I know that's (laughs) a a long project. Yeah. 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 It's funny because people ask me like, well, how have, has your relationship with your parents changed? I'm like, what? Cause you know, I think about you guys in the documentary as being the central characters, but I kind of forget sometimes that I had this 
uh, like like a similar process. So when you're talking about the way that the documentary, you know, was so focused and and helped you process, uh-huh. like it forced you to process, similar to me, but I just don't think of it that way, you huh. know, because it was it was someone else's someone else processing on camera. Like I don't right. do a lot of talking to the camera necessarily you know like i talk to you guys Uh but obviously i'm still working things out for myself so i thought that was like i I feel like i'm still like every time i watch a documentary i actually see things more more and more things Mm. in your interviews Mm -hmm. like chris and you but also like you talking about what the documentary did for you like Mm -hmm. i was like yeah you know what like i'm still learning things from you guys you did a good job vanessa (laughs) no no i like that's the thing obviously like it's such a self-interested thing like it's Mm -hmm. it's like like we make art but we don't want to be those people who are like well let me put my life on display because like that feels like less asian american but there's something very empowering to connect with others in your process right yeah um to have people come up and go, oh, you know, like I, I went through something similar. And I thought I would go through a lot of that. But I think it's still hard for Asians to like come up to you and be like, I was also depressed. You know, like I, I had um, I had I, I showed it at a small screening at um, at Evergreen Baptist, you know, Ken Fong Church. And, uh, you know, there's a woman who's like, like, she's like, I'm glad you showed that. You know, I'm glad my daughter is here, you know, like she kind of is going through something similar, you know, and she wouldn't say what, and she wouldn't say like, uh, and her daughter didn't say it to me. It was her mom. Do you know what I'm saying? So like, there's still like a layer of like Mm -hmm. (laughs) layer to pierce through in terms of like to have explicit conversations about these kinds of things. what point um did you did you have more explicit conversations about like what you experienced and also like even just the emotional having to process the emotional trauma mm-hmm. and did the, the i think in sometimes the explicit conversations even though they're supposed to help someone else they kind of they kind of help you in a way too right 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 um I think in terms of explicit conversations that I've had, I think I think the most valuable part of those conversations is not feeling alone in your experience, is feeling like, oh, I have a shared experience with others, and especially if they're Asian American, because I think that so many of my Asian American girlfriends have gone through similar experiences like this and we weren't talking about them, not on an everyday level. I mean, we were pretending like it didn't matter. And I think it makes sense to, sorry, it makes sense to recognize that things, that these things matter, you know, that, um, you know, they're, they're very pivotal. And so if they're very pivotal, then we have to create space for them to be pivotal in our lives, you know, instead of just ignoring them and putting them away and, you know, pretending that they don't exist. Because I think people are changed by moments like this, if not this, but in in other moments, you know? So, um, and I think not to be defined by your hardest times or your most sad and depressing moments, but those moments do shape who you are. And so when I'm having conversations, you know, similar conversations about other people's experiences, you know, whether they had one, two or three abortions, um, 
all those, all those, um, experiences are significant. And I was talking with someone that, that was going through Fuller, getting him his MDiv, and he was taking a, a family psychology class at Fuller. And he was saying in terms of family psychology, when you're doing family histories, you have to consider miscarriages and abortions, adoptions, uh, fostering, um, all those relationships matter in a family tree. Mm-hmm. So you might be the eldest, but if there was two miscarriages before you, you might not be considered the eldest by your parents. And so especially in Asian American families, you have to create space for them. You know, you mm-hmm. have to create space for these children or, you know, situations. Right. Mm-hmm. And after I heard him say that in terms, so in terms of my life, I was like, wow, then now how am I going to interact with my own daughter, Mazzy? Because I have this space before I had her. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm kind of dealing with like, how do I tell a young child what this is for them? Like, how do I shape this into something that's not scary and sad and, and taboo, but something that's just is in my life, you know? And, uh, cause I don't want her to be like, mom, you never told me about my life and it already happened to me. Why did you hide it? That's my worst fear. Mm. That's not, that's like my ultimate fear that she would have to go through the same things that I went through. And then I hit it so deeply that she was like, I never knew that you, I could have come to you and we could have talked about it, wow. you know? But instead I went through the same situations that you and I repeated your own history, right? Mm. That's like the ultimate. So, um, that I think that's what I'm building up towards, you know. Um, I forget you, the second part of your question. No, I I think that, I, I think that just hearing about that, I I wonder if that's how you felt in having to process your stuff. Does that make sense? For you to have that fear, is it something that you experienced? You know, um, someone not being more explicit with you. Because when mm. I think when I think about if I'm angry about this or that, sometimes I feel like, well, there was an adult previously. It didn't mm, necessarily okay. have to be my parents. Yeah. There, there's an adult who wasn't more um, open with me about this or that. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? So I don't know. I don't know for folks outside of the church, right? I don't know who are the main adults in people's lives. Like maybe YMCA youth leaders or high school teachers or, you know, whatever. Um, so for me, I was really involved in like my church youth group. And so my church youth leaders were the majority or the main adult influences in my life when I was like in high school. And so, and I, I went to play, uh, places like Mount Hermon and things like that. And while I was going through Mount Hermon and things as a high schooler, I just wanted my camp counselor who's who are also Asian American Christians to just be a little bit more real about their lives (laughs) a little bit just this much you know so I I was like okay this is what we're framing our conversation in you know in a like a Christian sense Um, but I never feel like we broke into their own lives so they I felt like it never really translated where it's like okay high school girls this is who I am as a mid 20 year old person talking to you and giving you advice about how to deal with your spirituality. Right. Mm -hmm. I never felt like it broke into their actual lives. Mm -hmm. And so for me as a young person, I didn't feel like it was real enough. You Mm -hmm. know, I didn't feel like they uh, could understand my pain Mm -hmm. or could understand like 
what I was going through because I was like, oh, well, they don't they don't know because they're not really letting me into like like what they're dealing with as well. You know, because when you're sharing what you're both, you know, what you're all struggling with, then it becomes a little bit more real. And then you can be like, well, actually, we're talking about this topic, but I'm dealing with this other thing. And I'm, you know, and then people start talking about, you know, what they're dealing with, you know, because when we when I was in high school, one of my best friends was dealing with a really intense um, drug thing, you know, Mm -hmm. and so. And that was hard to deal with at the time. I didn't know what to, how to, you know, she was someone I really cared about. Mm-hmm. Right. And I didn't, I hadn't, I had no, I had no ways to articulate how I was feeling because I didn't feel like other people had had to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Like, were we talking about addiction in a context of high school Christian camp? Right. It never came up, you know? And so so I was at a loss for words or I just never felt like I had anyone to talk to about that. And so same, you know, I, I feel like it's similar in that where, um, there was a lot of fear into exposing who, what you were actually dealing with because I, I felt like everyone was not real enough and that, and that, and that, and that continued on, you know, probably to college and in my, in the specific Asian American community that I was in. And, uh, and that's hard to break. I think that's a, to me, it's a big shell to crack. Mm-hmm. This idea of like, how do you get more people just to be more real? Wait, wait what's that real world? Where stop people stop being nice and start being real? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we did that together, kind of. You did. Did Asian you American feel like, world? did you feel like you, because you've done a lot of, leading with the young Christian Asian Americans do you feel like you try to represent actually I was I was thinking about that as Anne was talking about it because that's definitely something that I had wished um my my uh high school um youth leaders were more like because there's just like especially when you become a leader then you learn about all these things Mm -hmm. that other people are dealing with or scandals or like, there's just things that I discovered later on where I was like, why didn't I know about this? And there's, there's a sense of like, okay, well sometimes you can't process things as a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes you can be trusted with other things. Right. But I think once I started to move into that, I did, I did share about my depression and things like that. And like, try to like, let them know, like, look, things are going to be hard. You know, you're not always going to have this or that. And you know, whether or not, they reached out to me for that. None of them ever did specifically go, you know what, I'm going through this specific thing. And, you know, but I tried to create a space where they could. Mm -hmm. I think like the actual creation of the space is important, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and to let people know that, that this has happened. But sometimes, you know, I think about being a youth leader and uh, sometimes like, you, you want to find the right context and you want to find the right moment and you, you're looking for this like space or you're looking for them to like, uh, like come to you. But sometimes you have to like, just create that for yourself, I guess, you know, like, and that was the whole thing about sharing, you know, um, I remember actually as a high schooler, this one woman sharing her whole life story and me being like completely bored. 
But 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 what I did think she have about, a boring life? No, she had a very exciting <laughs> life, and it was very like not within the confines of what you like expect. You know, uh, Asian American Christian like women in woman in leadership to like live a life of you know debauchery. Yeah, debauchery. I don't know what it was. I forget exactly the exact details. But you know, the reason why I didn't pay attention, the reason why I wasn't as interested, is because I didn't respect her or admire her or or and she she didn't have my trust. So I think like those two things together have to have to be there in order to create spaces and i mean like even talking about the documentary like Mm -hmm. um yes this is the vanessa hour unfortunately (laughs) it Um, is just in time for the holidays (laughs) vanessa though you're always really good at creating spaces in spaces that were very hard to create space in does that make sense that's like your gift she's a trailblazer a a space trailblazer space you're always like space I like I like seeing your wheels turning while you're like space trailblazer space blazer space blazer blazer. I think we have an episode name. Woo! Done, done, and done. It's true. It's the bull in the space blazer. (laughs) Should we should we just rename the podcast now? Yeah. Shut it down. Shut it down. It's it's it got started on a new new logo. Would, would I just be like a rocket? Yeah. <laughs> the picture would just be a rocket? Why did I think that was a trailblazer, though? That's so weird. But it's a space blazer. Oh, space blazer. blazer. Oh. What? What's wrong with me? I couldn't even connect those things in my head. You made the connection and then you forgot it. <laughs> I had already instinctively thought of rockets. I only have dinosaurs and rockets on my head all the time. Um... <laughs> I guess like the thing is it's like you you talk about that and and it's because I want it for myself like so like the the need the subconscious need to like have that space is there and that's why I go around creating them yeah, because I want them for not myself. Not everyone that wants that space can create it. Like I want that space. I think you've you've I, mean, I can't create you created a zine like that's like you've put your life on display in the same way that the laundromat is very explicit in that you know so I think like in order to create space you have to have trust and then you have to have an openness mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and you know like they might come from different because I don't think I was open with you initially like you didn't know I was depressed right. I don't think so. Yeah, but, Chris I mean, didn't you either. Gave, you gave me inklings. Yeah, and then that you were confused did you, get, did you guys have links to her online poetry oh gosh <laughs> thank Is, god are you talking about your zanga because i yeah. feel like i, I read it no you know what it was on a separate one there's quite a bit of poetry it was on a separate <laughs> did you read some of it yeah i did oh my god I of course totally i did have. if you put a link somewhere i'm gonna click on it I don't think I think I left my Zanga for more lighthearted things and then there was another separate journal it was called blogspot it's called blogspot I think there's a lot of poetry. Oh, I'm not going to. It's private. (laughs) I'm not going to share. Oh, yeah. It was. was, uh, Yeah. Well, but, you know, even in in the thinking about the storytelling event and, you know, like thinking about bad teenage angst poetry, like not only is it bad because it's it's not like great, but it's also bad because you're embarrassed by it. Do you know what I'm saying? And I think there's sometimes like an embarrassment that I experienced from those times that I was right. like feeling that way. So I have to like process through that a lot. Like being like, man, I was, well, I feel dramatically like almost all the time, but that was when I actually put it on display. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? I was like, cry for help. You know, like I, think I learned a lot of like this 
how to deal with this type of vulnerability though from Alex because he's as an artist he's always like artist process your artistic output is always your process so you have to be okay with it on some level because that's your process I mean everyone's embarrassed about it you know but you just I mean it's almost like if you cover it up you're hiding your process and it's always better to show your process no I don't know. I think it just depends on the artist. And because some people want it to seem like they came fully formed from their heads, like Athena, but it's not like that for sure. For those of you wondering, that was a second Athena coming from your head reference. Is it really? Yeah. What's the first? You and Eric's friendship, like Athena bursting from Zeus's head. (laughs) How do you remember things like that? I have a really good memory. You you rocked. Your memory rocks. <laughs> if, especially if you remembered my teenage angst poetry. I mean, like that's like more than 10 years ago. Yikes. I keep Vanessa journals at home. <laughs> <laughs> Not creeped out. Well, what about you, um, April? In kind of... Uh, in, in terms of like that space that you held, I think there was that moment where you're like, yeah, why didn't you tell me? That was like one of the realest moments in our friendship, I think. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, we've had a lot of real moments, <laughs> but like that was like it was much less real for me. Oh yeah. No, I know. I remember that. I don't know. I mean, like, it wasn't like I was like, oh my god, why Vanessa? It was just you know, I don't know. I don't feel that I need to know everything about you all at once. And if you want to share something with me, then that's great. You know. Um, yeah. Well, know. what about for you in terms of that space being a, a very real space? Have do you feel like what that's space? Mm, this the laundromat space? Like, was that one of the times where you felt like you were the most open and vulnerable, especially to be it on camera? Oh, with your documentary, mm-hmm. I still get the documentary and the website confused. <laughs> But now it kind we know of all happened all the at the same time. <laughs> it kind of happened all at the same time, I think, at least in my head, like it was happening at the same time, the documentary and the website. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I feel like for a lot of it, I was really assisting you. And then there was kind of like an outlet. Although, um, I mean, I think I was always able to talk about my background and how it affected me Mm -hmm. with friends. Um, And like we were talking about earlier in the podcast, um, I really see that time as sort of like um, the start of, you know, you and I, but from my perspective, like my opportunity to sort of, um, uh, I guess, access a space that, I felt like wasn't there before mm. and I didn't know if it was just me helping you out and I didn't know if it was just something I did on the side or you know doing you a solid or whatever but um but it is always encouraging to hear people say that it is needed because then it tells me that it's needed right. you know but I always feel like I just existed in in a vacuum where like I, I was pretty much just working on this thing with you until you know, I went through a breakup a couple years ago and, and, and I kind of find myself in a place where I was very unhappy. And then me sort of coming to you with the idea of a podcast, it was like, it turns out that you and I have a lot to say about this subject, (laughs) 
you know, and it's not like, it's not like we were like, we're going to do this thing and we've been working toward it. It just kind of like organically grew, you mm. know, and, and, um, and it's something I'm very proud of. And, and I think that a lot of people get something out of people, you know, as you were saying, and just speaking honestly mm-hmm. and trying to be transparent. I think for me, that's always been the driving force when I communicate and, and connect with people is being real, being honest, doing it in, you know, a way that's fun, you mm-hmm. know, cause you know, mm-hmm. friendships and all that stuff. Um, and then, and then having that, the rapport that you and I have facilitate that with other people, mm. um, and sort of get people thinking about, you know, their, their background and their culture and how it affects their daily lives. Um, I think that's really cool. I, I don't know. For yeah. me, it's just like yeah. the way that I, when I think about it, it's just a very organic thing mm. that I wasn't like, let's create this space. I mean, maybe <laughs> yeah. we said that when we were writing a mission statement or something like that, sure. but, um, I mean, there's, I feel like, yeah, I feel like for, for me, there's a lot of, uh, benefit, not that something that I thought that it would have, but it just kind of does have like, for instance, um, uh, I'm engaged now, but you know, more than a week ago when I wasn't engaged, um, you know, my boyfriend and I have been wanting to move in together for a really, really long time. And I was talking to my sister about it. And I was like, yeah, you know, we're, we're, we want to move in together and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, she's like, so are you going to tell mom and dad about that? And I said, yeah. I mean, what else would I do? She was like, lie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's like, because like my parents wouldn't be cool with that. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you're not married, you should not be living together. Not for like religious reasons, but just like that's not in their, in their heads, mm-hmm. that's the practical way of doing it you know um and then I just kind of like and she and then I was like well yeah I could but I feel like if I did all of this would be for nothing (laughs) you know what I mean like to to you know understand your that the way that you choose your life is there's nothing bad about that, you know, and that even though my parents are this like huge, you know, very monolithic, like ruling, you know, like beings in my life that through this process of like the documentary and the website and the podcast that I've come to a sense of like, it's okay to make that decision. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that, you know, and having, and then like, I mean, this is really like, maybe two months, a month or two ago that I had this discussion with my sister and in my head, it kind of clicked where I was like, just live your life like with integrity and, Mm -hmm. and what are they going to do? You know, like that's kind of like not the moment, but like a realization that this whole process led up to, I think. Mm -hmm. So I I think you're, I think each person feels different things about situations. Right. So perhaps for your sister, she would feel really guilty. That's right. why she would have to lie maybe. Right. And then maybe you don't think it's as big deal as everyone's making it up to be. Right. And that's just the way that your life is going. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe you'd feel more guilty for lying, you know? Yeah. And I'd be like, well, what am I doing? Like, well, I don't want to lie to my parents about this. I don't want to make something that's great, something to hide and right. then feel guilty about Mm -hmm. and then 
me feel guilty and then maybe them, you know, my boyfriend feel guilty and, and all that stuff. So. Yeah. There's a lot of <laughs> hiding things. Like if they were to visit, it's like, quick, hide all your things. <laughs> I know, exactly. And it's like, but your, your lives are so intricately woven. It's like, well, oops, forgot about that second toothbrush that's there. Right. You know? like, you, yeah. You just, you, after a while you just can't. And I mean, like that's even the process of, like, uh, so I started going to therapy. I don't know if I told you, Anne. Mm-mm. Oh, I told you on the podcast. Great. <laughs> nice. Um, but you know, it's, it, it happened two years after my documentary was done. Okay. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, so when we talk about things having, needing time to process, I mean, like I started the documentary 2009, you know, that's the first time we talked. And then in 2011, that was the second time we talked. And then I finished in 2013 and then 2015, that's what I was like we're going to therapy, you know, like, like these, wow. and, and, and the whole documentary is about destigmatizing these things, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so did you feel like you started going to therapy because you started talking about other people like mental health and therapy and that you just wanted to follow through with that process or? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, like, I think there's a lot of things, right? There's always layers of reasons, especially with like a, a decision that feels like as important as that. Like some people like showing up to therapy is like going to like, to the doctor's office and, mm-hmm. you know, asking for a specific kind of medicine. But for me, like obviously coming from, um, my context, like it was hard. It was hard to like, and then there was a time when I didn't even want to talk about it on the podcast just yet. I think like, do you think if you went to therapy first, would you have made your documentary? I wonder that. Um, I think the thing is, it's like, I don't, I'm not saying you did it in a wrong way, but right, right, right. But but would I have even had to make the documentary? I, right. you know, I don't, I don't think I would have made the documentary, but or or it would have been in a different form. It wouldn't have been what it is. It would have like I can see us doing the podcast like without the documentary, mm-hmm. but I can't see the documentary happening in the way that it did. I almost get scared if you didn't film the documentary because my life I feel is so intertwined with the documentary at this point. Over the last however many years, that I should ask if Chris. you didn't, yeah, like I don't know about for you, April, but and I don't know for Chris, but it, for me, it seems like the documentary. Without it, like if we were to do the Back to the Future kind of thing and then erase <laughs> the documentary, would my life be in shambles? <laughs> would I just be sitting on the couch, like eating a big pot of curry by myself, oh. crying? I don't know. Yeah. A little bit. I, <laughs> I think I think it would have taken a lot longer for me to get to where I am, mm. if not for the documentary. Mm. And I'm still yeah. kind of like processing what it meant for me because like I basically had to split myself in order to make the documentary, right? Like that's how I think of it now, almost like disassociative disassociative identity disorder where like I was me the filmmaker than me the character. Uh. In order to get for me the character to say something on on and like be like and now we're talking about how I had thoughts of suicide at one point. Like, you know, like I had a, the director be like, Vanessa, Vanessa, look, look what Anne was able to do. Look what Chris is able to do. This is, if you don't say this in your documentary, it's not going to be as impactful because it happened, you know, and it, you can't, you can't be ashamed of it. It just has to be part of it. You yeah, know, I remember this class that you had that you invited me to, that what? you, it was a documentary class and you you were on stage as yourself, the character, and there was a slideshow of your oh yeah um, photographs. It was actually from your docu- an acting class. Oh, an acting class, oh, but it was geez. it was pretty real. 
I mean, you, I felt like the character you was the same character. Yeah, I was like kind of monologuing and. Is that when you like went into the empty field again? And Yeah, where I had to like, I just, it was, it was so, it was like kind of awful. Not awful, but like awful in a good way because like you're supposed to do like sense memory and things uh-huh, like that. Uh-huh. I kind of like go back into a place where you have to access really deep emotions. So right. then I just like walked into a field and then like sat on the ground and then had to cry in front of my classmates it was great was that the same class <laughs> that was the same class i think that's the one you're talking about right because there's a slideshow in front of me uh-huh yeah and then you were filming it right something i was there i don't remember what i was was i yeah. on stage with you no i don't think so i wasn't were you on stage did you want to be I on am- stage with me <laughs> i almost feel like we were both sitting on stage yeah 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 Wait, oh, because you were talking to me as me. <laughs> oh, my very God. Confusing. Wow. <laughs> it's all coming back to Vanessa. Oh no, I gosh. was on stage with you. Yeah, I was on it's stage my with grad you. school equivalent of bad teenage poetry. Because <laughs> I was dialoguing with, I was supposed to be dialoguing with myself about the documentary. You did quotes toward yourself. Yeah. So you were quoting an documentary and also pointing to yourself. <laughs> it's so meta. Very, very. Oh my gosh. I don't even want to get into it because it was so complicated and convoluted. But yeah, oh my gosh, I forgot I had done that. Oh man. But um, yeah, I, I guess I, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's probably getting into time. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Okay. You always abruptly stop. Well, I just I wasn't sure how to conclude it. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Let's just conclude with our giggles. <laughs> now that we've talked about all these heavy things, I think I uh, and you wanted to maybe read like a little part of your zine. Yeah. And then um, should we? Uh, do you want to also have us kind of like? Um, Can you, for the less artsy people, explain what a zine is? Sure. Um, pretty much a zine is a self-published booklet. Um, I guess it could be short for magazine. Um, and they're usually photocopied and stapled. Um, it could be perfect bound as well. Um, but there's a whole culture behind zine making. Um, and, um... It used to be, I mean, it's highly utilized by the punk scene um, and the riot girl scene. And um, a lot, it, th- they can be different topics, but a lot of them are personal. Mm-hmm. And so um, there was a large, there's a large amount of women that create these personal zines mm-hmm. and they may or may not put their names on it. Um, um, I think lately there's been a more focus of, for like art so there's more, you know, kind of like these art sketchbook style stuff. And comics is also within the community, um, although sometimes they're separate. Mm-hmm. I think um, zine, comics people make zines. All, not all zinesters make comics. Uh-huh. Does that make sense? Right. Uh, okay. Yeah. And so, I mean, a lot of people create like political zines. And so it's a way of like proliferating or publishing people's writing um, and images and things like that. Um, um, But there's been a a huge um, 
like resurgence of zine making in the last like five years, I would think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so there's a lot of there's a. I feel like every major city now has like a zine fest mm-hmm. that you can find. You can find zine makers, but I would say like when I first started making zines in like 2008, it was hard to find other people that were making zines, and I had to pr- search pretty hard to find fellow people. Mm-hmm. People had a. I mean, I I felt like people had made zines plenty of times years 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 before but i i was having a hard time finding like other friends that were making zines i think uh-huh. nowadays a lot of people are making zines mm-hmm. uh, i think it's a, like la has a huge zine fest mm-hmm. that they have um they have like 300 tablers that come you know and so there i think the zeitgeist is that zine making is like a, a very popular form of communication now like high schoolers now teachers are making them make zines for like their class projects and things like that so oh. I think it's a cheap way of getting your words across. Mm-hmm. Um, words and, and drawings. And words and, and drawings. And it's cheap. It's easy to make. You know, it's... Um, um, I think it's the first level of publishing. Mm-hmm. So, and it's it's similar to like, you know, if you're a writer, you make chapbooks. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's similar to that. I think it's... Um, and I, 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 I'm kind of under... The, I like like gritty stuff so I think it's like a very pure form like Mm -hmm. I think gritty stuff is pretty awesome and so um, I like it that like it's like people will scratch out their writings Mm -hmm. and you know so gritty as an unfinished is what you're right right so it doesn't I don't think the community it doesn't have to be perfect a lot of it's handwritten Mm -hmm. a lot of it's just like kind of like rough cut and paste Mm -hmm. things like that Oh, cool. Thing. Yeah, so this is um, from Hidden Motherhood. I wrote it in 2015, and I wrote it um, pretty soon after I had my uh, child daughter, Mazzy. And this is about my abortion experience. Someone told me that I needed to name my pain. I named the child that would never be born Pearl. An orb of light, a beauty amidst long-suffering, a speck of sand chewed and processed, an ocean of fluid housing, engulfing, protecting. I'm sorry. I was not brave. I was too concerned about what others would think of me. I was wrong. I should have been not embarrassed to what the circumstances of my life were. I still have a sadness within me that is unfamiliar. What saved me was I found a community of people whose sole purpose was to serve others. They fought for justice. They advocated on the behalf of others. In my heart, I joined the cause, the fight, the movement, the revolution. I was so tired. I was so tired I forgot to feel sad. But this snapped me out of my pity party. I met other women who had had abortions, more than one, several, many, over the years, mostly hidden moments, not shameful, just hidden, the things unspoken, the date on your marked on your calendar for no other reason except a silence acknowledgement. We mark our bodies with tattoo memorials for the babies of abortions have no place of rest, no gravestone, no ash remains. We walk like queens, three, four, five abortions. We are fertile ground. Our bodies transform to hold life. Our minds continue to hold what our bodies stop holding on to, but we do not forget. It is all just whispered, talked about in hushed tones. 
how many other Asian American women were experiencing the same, same things as me. Out of my handful of friends, three of us would have abortions. Almost all would get pregnant before marriage, and this was in my evangelical Protestant church community. And I am not alone in this type of hidden motherhood. We need to stop hiding. There are so many young girls that think they are alone, and the conversation is not about if those who had abortions made the right or wrong decision. It doesn't matter. What matters is that the, these individuals have opportunities to process their experience with others. What matters is that allowance to be transformed by your life experience, not hidden and tucked away in the back of yourselves, not letting it change you, because it does change you. It does. I was meant to be a mother, to reframe my abortion into what caused radical transformation within me, allowed me to be beyond myself, a revolution of spirit, a movement of transformation to uncover what had been hidden. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Anne. Thanks. Um. <laughs> well, I just, it's almost like you have to I like, know, it's like too serious. No. I was all talking about, are these Asians are so serious? And I'm like, here's my serious thing. Math works so hard. There's so many tears. So many tears. So many tears. Yeah. Well, I think, I think you have to go through those deep darks to feel more joy, to feel more happiness, to feel, to, to laugh more on the other side. Yeah. I, I want it to be a bigger project, you know? Yeah. I haven't written in a really long time, like two years. I mean, apart from this. And I want to write sci-fi. So how do I change <laughs> Like Octavia Butler's sci-fi, Hells huh? Yes. There you go. Yeah. Very so cool. I don't know. I mean, uh, like I was talking to Alex, he's like, you need to more write more of these. And I'm like, <laughs> I need to have more. I mean, I guess, you know, how much can you write about one situation? I don't know. Maybe people focus on it for their whole lives right but um, i think you can build worlds and characters around these yeah. kinds of things and i've written about my actual experience like the process of it. i actually submitted to hyphen um a couple of years back for their short story contest nice and it got me to write like this four page experiential piece you know um so it's it's nice to like have that written down because when i reread that piece i just go right back to that moment you know and uh sitting in the waiting room and, you know, waiting and thinking about my life and how it's going to transform my life and all the emotions and trying to be strong and all this stuff, you know? So I think that's the power of writing. You know, you can go right back to that specific place. And and now you're in a place to actually revisit it. Cause before I think, yeah, I mean, I haven't even cried about it for a long time and that's the, the main difference. You know, I'm not so emotionally, uh, fused with the moment where I'm just immediately start crying again. I'm a little bit more detached, which allows for my process of healing to kind of happen now. You know, before I was so in it that I couldn't see outside of it. And now I'm kind of like looking in on myself and then processing how it's changed me mm. and how. And maybe this is just like a like I'm, I've been thinking a lot about like, what do I want my 30s to look like? What is significant about 30s to 40s that I want to happen, you know, mm. and in, in talking to some of the folks that I respect that are in their mid 30s looking back. Right. You know, they were talking to me when I was still in my 20s and they're like, this is a time where you really focus in on what your passions are and then go full force 
because you have all the tools now that you, you know, your twenties is kind of searching for those tools and searching for the people and thirties is actually making that happen for yourself. So mm. I think there's a lot that has to do with my librarianship and has to do with my scene making and motherhood and this abortion. And I'm trying to fuse them all together and, you know, have a running start. But I think the motherhood thing is, it slows you down because you're just, your focus is elsewhere, you mm-hmm. know? So, um, I think that's why a lot of my art practice is going towards motherhood because that's just naturally where I'm spending a lot of time and sure. my energy. And so there's a book that's coming out in January, maybe called revolutionary mothering love on the front lines that I'm really excited about. So I think, and I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of this idea of like what revolutionary mothering is mm. like, you know, and learning from like activist mothers and learning from like mothers that are like doing things, you know, not that stay at home moms have their role, you know, but I think that, you know, I, I that's not your path. That's not your story. I'm a, I'm a stay at home mom, but mm. I don't, I'm, I want to be more than that. And so uh, I'd, I'd like to be a mother that is not just defined by their money mothering, but it is something that I, I, well, the love on the front lines book is like, they're talking about labor, like mother is a labor, you know, so it's a job, it's something that you're doing, but you're also doing these other things. You're not sure. just defined by that, but you're also defined by other things as well. Mm. So, um, yeah, but I mean, this whole process from the documentary, and then I heard this podcast um, called Abortion Diaries that my my really good friend in Portland, who's a comic artist, um, was a part of. And when I heard her um, podcast on her, you know, abortion story, I was like, wow, I really, you know, I, maybe I hope to be on that uh, abortion diary someday, too, you know, and tell my own story in a more succinct way. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm really... I'm really encouraged and inspired by these people that are telling their stories. Yeah. Well, Hey, keep on telling your story. And I mean, you know, like we'll probably link to anything that you want to do, like your eyeball, eyeball burp, um, projects and anything that, yeah, you want us to kind of like help put out there in the world because you know, that's what the podcast is about. It's like creating spaces, but also, you know, like, um, Sorry, I can't. <laughs> and, but also, like, you know, like, kind of, you know, creating a a guide to how others are processing things. Right. You know, because yeah. we're all, we're all, we're all figuring things out the way that we individually will. Yeah. So. Yeah. But thank you again for sharing and for reading yeah. from that. That's, I think, the first time we've had, like, a live reading. Yeah. That nice. was cool. Thanks for having that me. Often. Yeah, you should. <laughs> <laughs> and now and now we're gonna go eat more jook. <laughs> and thousand year old eggs. Oh. Let's get our egg on. Oh boy. <laughs> did you did you eat any, April? No, of course not. I told you I wouldn't. Don't pressure me. Okay. Right. <laughs> They're only like five years old. No, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the truth is out. <laughs> All right. Thanks everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Anne.
Peace. 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 Peace.